Thank you, Matthew. Hymn 411 in the songbook. <clears throat> Let's stand and sing Hymn 411. <clears throat> Hymn 411. Revive us again. Hymn 411. Let's stand and sing. We praise Thee, O God, for the Son of Thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. All right, let's hear that amen when we get down to it. Shout it out now. Let's sing out on the second. Verse number two, here we go. We praise Thee, O God, for Thy Spirit of life, who has shown us our Savior and scattered our night. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Revive us again. Verse 4. Revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. And we're here tonight to have our hearts revived and be brought closer to the Lord. And uh, you might already have a spiritual pulse. Let's make it stronger. Amen. And let's uh, walk closer with our Lord as we uh, enjoy uh, uh, the truths of the Bible and the fellowship of each other. I'm always a little thrown off on Sunday nights that we don't have choir practice uh, because um, if we have choir practice, there's always a group of people hanging around. You all always give me a terrifying scare when there isn't choir practice because it's like 550 and the building's empty. And then all of a sudden, whoom, y'all show up like good Baptists. And then, you know, the really good Baptists, they're, they're still on their way here. They'll be here in the next 15 minutes. So, uh, but no, nonetheless, we're here. We're going to have church. We're going to have a good time around the Word of God. Aren't you happy it's light outside? I, listen, this is, uh, this, is like, this is almost like Christmas morning for me, right? I, I love it. I don't like the, losing the hour of sleep, but I love the sunlight. And uh, Tuesday evening visitation gets a lot easier because we actually have sunlight to work with. Glory, hallelujah. So, uh, but nonetheless, um, uh, looking forward to what the Lord has in store for us the rest of the year. We talked about the family month that's coming up. Uh, Resurrection Sunday on the 1st. Invite your friends and your family. Get them here, your neighbors, your, your uh, relatives. Listen, you can take those door hangers and you can hang them up in the Starbucks uh, coffee shops and the laundry mats. They've got those little community boards with all the other announcements and put it up there. And uh, if you're going to buy your $5 cup of coffee, you might as well post an invitation while you're in there, right? So uh, let's get the word out. Let's have a big, a big day as uh, God grows our church. Well, we're here tonight to uh, worship the Lord in spirit and truth. Turn around and greet someone around you. will come back and sing that chorus in just a moment. Thank you. 
All right, let's sing it out on the first verse. Sing it out with me. We praise. Let's do the first verse. Here we go. We praise Thee, O God, for the Son of Thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Let's hear it now. Amen. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. And all of our deeds through the singing, through the giving, through the preaching, let it all just worship you and glorify you. You are the only one that's worthy of it. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you. Praise in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Take your songbook. Hymn number 330. <clears throat> Hymn 330. We'll sing, Look to the Lamb of God. Hymn 330. <clears throat> if you from sin are longing to be free, Look to the Lamb of God. He to redeem you died on Calvary. Look to the Lamb of God. Look to the Lamb of God. Look to the Lamb of God. For He alone is able to save you. Look to the Lamb of God. Verse 3. Are you a-weary? Does the way seem long? Look to the Lamb of God. His love will cheer and fill your heart with song. Look to the Lamb of God. Look to the Lamb of God. Look to the Lamb of God. For He alone is able to save you. Look to the Lamb of God. On the last, fear not when shadows on your pathway fall. Look to the Lamb of God. Enjoy your sorrow, Christ is all in all. Look to the Lamb of God. Look to the Lamb of God. Look to the Lamb of God. For He alone is able to save you. Look to the Lamb of God. All right, let's have our ushers come forward at this time. If uh, if you're visiting with us this evening, and it's your first time with us, we'd love to give you a gift as well as a connection card to thank you for being here. So if you are visiting, if you wouldn't mind, just slip up your hand. That way we can get you that gift and, uh, and have that connection point with you. Anybody visiting tonight? All right. Very good. A uh, couple things about the missions conference we need to get uh, tidied up here. And so uh, if you could uh, help us out, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, first of all, our international dinner. Let me address that. Um, if you can cook for that, that would be awesome. Um, we have an international church, and I love good international food. Uh, I got to tell you, I don't like going to Tex-Mex restaurants. I like going into the real deal Mexican restaurant, the kind that has the cockroaches. Amen. All right. Um, no, I like really, I like going into the real deal. I, I like getting authentic food. And the international dinner at our church is authentic international food. So you say, I'm from America. I don't know how to make anything international. Then bring fried chicken. It's all good. Uh, but uh, cook and bring something and 
And uh, we're going to have a good time with that. My wife has encouraged those of you from another country that maybe have the garb, the, the uh, attire of your country, to dress up that evening according to your country. And so you can both cook and put on the apparel, and it will be a full-blown international night. Uh, we're going to have the upstairs decorated really nice that Tuesday. Uh, the dinner starts at 5.30. You don't have to get here at 5.30, but 5.30 to 6.30. It is a potluck setup, so bring food. We'll have a good time with that. Okay, um, we had a couple people come to me after church and volunteer to uh, take folks out to eat Saturday evening and Sunday. If you're going to t- uh, take people out to eat, feed them, whether that's in your home or here. If you are willing to help feed folks on either Saturday or Sunday, uh, it would be a big help. We've had, uh, we have eight slots. We've had two of them feel, filled. I'm not going to high pressure, but I'm just wondering right now, is there anyone who'd be willing to, let's start with Saturday, willing to show up at five o'clock on Saturday and take a missionary out to eat? All right, Miss uh, Pam Dalton. You can take more than one. I'm going to, if, if we need to, we will. We'll try to spread it out here. Anybody else? Valerie, are you available on Saturday or Sunday better? Sunday. Okay. All right. Harvey, anybody else on Saturday? Anybody else available on Saturday, five o'clock or so? How about Sunday? I got three more slots on Sunday. I need filled. Campbell, Chippio, you can do Sunday. One more. Anybody else on Sunday? All right. If you uh, change your mind or find some availability on Saturday and, or, or Sunday, let us know. You guys can do Saturday. Okay. As soon as the service is over. Right. So this is. You're doing the shuttle bus? Yeah, that, that'll work. Okay. I'll, I'll coordinate with you. Sunday. Okay. Okay, I think that takes care of Sunday. We have our. Um, that takes care of Sunday. Now we have one more. Or rather, two more for Saturday. So if your schedule opens up, let me know. And uh, we'll make it happen. Or we'll just send them all to Miss Pam. So we'll make it happen. Thank you. Very good. All right. At this time, um, we don't have a choir, choir tonight. I believe the next thing up is our outreach report or our bus ministry report. So Pastor Dave, come on up. I wanted to help encourage for the missions conference, too. I didn't realize he's going to steal my thunder. I just want to give you encouragement for what a little bit of the schedule is going to be for this week. Missions conference is always one of the biggest events at our church. Especially about the international news, one of the biggest events of the year. We're going to have an exciting time even revealing what's going on back there with the giant white sheets. I'm very excited about that. It's going to be a great way to help grow our connection to the missionaries. You don't have to figure out what that is by coming next week. On Sunday morning, we're, um, we're going to have all the adult Sunday school classes meet in here. And we're having... Um, oh, who's huge fruit of the adults? We're going to have a special missionary speaker in here. Got himself mixed up. Uh, Brother Cox. We'll be preaching here. Um, between our four missionaries that we have here, I was thinking about it this afternoon, we have close to 100 years of experience coming from off the field. Um, many of these people have been in the missions field for almost 30-some years. Brother, um, Brother Cox and his wife, um, Brenda, will be here. They'll be teaching the um, Sunday school class right in here. We'll have a combined teen Sunday school class with Brother Dave Carter from Japan. He'll be teaching the, um, the teenagers coming up this next Sunday, and the kids for Sunday school will be hearing um, Brother Collins from Mexico, um, te- you know, started the church there in Mexico, 
and has started two Bible colleges. He'll be teaching the kids Sunday morning. Uh, and as well, during the main service, all the teens will be down here. So, um, so the whole church will be able to um, uh, hear um, Brother Collins or Brother Carter as he preaches for the Sunday morning service. It's going to be a great time. And all week long, we'll have all the missionaries here. They'll be presenting their work. They'll be preaching all week long. It'll be time to really get to know them. There'll be special events. Like Sunday night after church, all the teams will be invited to go with Pastor Rivera and all the missionaries out to Five Guys for, um, after, after church for our burgers. Again, we're going to have a great Monday night, Tuesday night, the International Supper. Be here for it. I just tell Pastor Mike, should I wear my yarmulke? What do y'all think? For my Jewish culture. Um, Wednesday after church, we're going to have that great international ice cream. We'll all head upstairs afterwards. There'll be no Masters Club that night. So we can all hear um, the preaching, and we can all afterwards we'll go upstairs for international ice cream. So what is international ice cream? Last year was the first year we did it. We're going to get toppings from all over the world, so it'll be a great time of fellowship, really getting to know the missionaries, and really trying to help challenge our vision to reach across the sea this year for our missions conference. So I really want to encourage you to be ready. Start praying for it. There's an old saying, you, you, get, you get out of something what you put into it. Hey, what are you going to put in for this mission conference? You're just going to show up one or two nights, well, you're really not going to get anything out of it. But if you're, if you're trying to be there for every night, if you're trying to be involved in the international dinner, if you're staying out for the international ice cream, and if you're around these missionaries, you're going to catch their heart for the field. And more importantly, hopefully you'll catch the heart of Christ to reach those across the sea from us. So plan on being out here. It's one of the biggest events of the year. Make sure you don't miss out on what God's going to do. Pastor Mike? Pastor alluded to this earlier about our Tuesday evening visitation. Uh, for uh, our evening, uh, Tuesday evening, I need uh, several people to uh, volunteer to help uh, bake some uh, breads, uh, do nursery, and also uh, to provide a meal for Tuesday evening. So if you're able to do that, uh, provide uh, child care, provide uh, breads for Tuesday and also or a meal, uh, please come see me for that. Um, I'm losing people because uh, people are moving. Uh, if you can guess who that is, and also people, uh, I need to find more people for bread making. So if you're interested and you would like to help in this great ministry on Tuesday evening, I could really use your help. Just come see me after service, um, and that would be a blessing if you could just help. Uh, prepare a meal or anything like that. Also, tonight's uh, meeting will be held not in the blue classroom, but in the brown classroom. So not the blue, but the brown classroom, for those of you who are aware of that meeting tonight. Let's see. Take your songbook and stand with me. Hymn 548. Hymn 548. We'll sing more love to thee. <clears throat> Hymn 548. Shall raise this still this prayer. 
will have you come on board. While they're coming, I wanted to give everybody an update on where we're at with our Christian school as far as the planning process there. I'm in uh, talks with a gentleman who is currently residing in Virginia as the prospect of being our school administrator. He is going to be coming up in April uh, to look at the position and look at our church. He was here for our Sunday school conference a year ago. Uh, Some of you might remember Brother Justin DeRosa, his wife Angie and their kids. Uh, They did some teaching on uh, children's work back in the classroom over here. And so I'm in conversations with him about that position. I can't officially announce whether or not we'll have a school because I don't officially have an administrator locked down. Uh, But uh, keep your ears posted for that. And if you have young ones and you're considering White Oak Baptist Church's Christian school startup, uh, just pray for that and we'll keep you posted uh, along the way. So wanted to give that update that several people asked. Wanted to make you aware of what we're what we're working with there, what we're doing. So, Amen. Let's have a word of prayer for the offering this evening and ask God to bless it. Jason Magnarell, if you would lead us in prayer. M509. M509. We'll sing the first and the last of M509. <coughs> Take time to be holy. Speak off with thy Lord. God's children, help the 
chapter number two in your Bible. Evening Acts 2. While you're finding your way over, I want to um, amend to correct a couple little things. Um, your pastor is a human capable of mistakes. And he has made a couple of uh, errors in you know, the last couple services. This, this uh, morning, some of the slides were off. Uh, they didn't match my outline. That is not the, uh, that's not anybody's fault but mine. I altered my outline after I emailed it over and didn't email the corrections. So uh, I want to own that mistake. And then uh, last week I, um, uh, in my outline, uh, last Sunday evening in my outline, I made a point that was maybe, I wouldn't say it was off doctrinally totally, but uh, uh, just a quick amendment, maybe uh, uh, make it a little more accurate. We talked about how that the Holy Spirit, uh, the th- four things He provides. The first point was that He provides freedom from sin's consequences. And I should have made that freedom from sin's condemnation. Uh, there are still consequences if you choose to sin. They're just not eternal consequences. So wanted to make that clear. I, I meant eternal consequences with the point, uh, but uh, didn't quite state that clearly. Uh, it was uh, very humbly brought to my attention, and so I wanted to make that amendment, that correction for the record. Amen. All right. We'll try not to have any errors tonight. If there are any errors on the screens, again, I'll own those as well. So just be patient and be gracious. Amen. All right. Acts chapter 2. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. And we will be reading from verse 1 down through verse number 4 as we continue our our series um, Inside of a series on the Holy Spirit. The Bible says there in verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as the fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. A very interesting and unique time in the Bible. Um, boy, I would have been, loved to have been there to sing that. Uh, the title of the sermon this evening is this, The Holy Spirit's Role Throughout the Bible. The Holy Spirit's Role Throughout the Bible. Let's pray. God, I ask tonight as we dive into an important topic uh, and understand how you uh, have used the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit has played uh, different parts throughout Scripture. Help us to understand it and comprehend it. And Lord, I pray that the sermon would uh, accomplish a work of knowledge that would bring about a work of conviction. And God, uh, that we would uh, utilize the powerful Holy Spirit in our hearts 
to do incredible things for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Now, uh, we just read a, a, uh, several verses in Acts 2 here that most Baptist pastors ignore. Because they feel like the Pentecostals have a corner on these verses. Um, let me remind you, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Is profitable. Even this one. Even this one. Now, some will read this passage in Acts 2 and wonder at the disciples to whom this happened. They, they marvel at, wow, look at what the disciples did. Look at how they were in one accord and these cloven tongues of fire appeared on their head and they, they spoke in tongues. Wow! I, I personally don't marvel at the disciples. I marvel at the power of the Holy Ghost. Both in this passage and throughout the Bible. Throughout the Bible. Now, why is a sermon like this necessary? Why is it necessary to look at the role of the Holy Spirit throughout the Bible? Let me tell you uh, why. Um, if you don't understand who the Holy Spirit is, we, we addressed that several weeks ago, and you don't understand uh, not only what He does now, but as you're reading your Bible, you don't understand how His role maybe was different in a different time of the Bible, a different era of the Bible. All of this begins to become a jumbled mess in your brain, and you wonder, why did the Holy Spirit do this in the Old Testament or do this in the early church? But He doesn't seem to be doing it now. Should He be doing that now? Why isn't He doing that now? And then you'll, uh, you'll hear other doctrine from outside of our church that says that the Holy Spirit should be doing this now. And it casts doubt in your heart. So, uh, taking the time this evening and explaining um, uh, who the Holy Spirit is and what He has done throughout the Bible in His role now is key to uh, uh, being able to utilize Him to the fullest in our lives. Now, um, uh, we said this morning, talking about the false doctrine of losing one's salvation, we said that in order to properly understand the Bible, there are three things that we must do with each topic, and they were provide context, prayerfully compare, and pursue clarity. Provide context. Alright, you look at a verse like uh, the one that said, He that endureth to the end shall be saved. Does that mean you've got to endure to the end to be saved? No, that meant to be saved from persecution we looked at this morning. Provide context, both historical context and intellectual, scriptural, spiritual context. And then we talked about prayerfully compare. How that you take all the verses on a topic and you lay that out. I'll put a plug in here for the, the Thompson Chain Reference Bible. That's my Bible of choice. I use it, study from it. I love, love, love my Bible, my Thompson Chain Reference Bible, because uh, over in the margin on the side, I'm given a topic that's in a verse, and I can flip to the back, and probably 80 to, in some cases, 100% of the verses in the Bible that deal with that topic are all right there. And I'm able to study every verse on that topic. And we said this morning that if you uh, look at one verse and it doesn't seem to match on the surface what the rest of Scripture teaches, you don't build a whole religion off of that one verse. Instead, you understand the entire topic and then you dig deep to understand, uh, uh, get context on that verse to make sure it fits. A good example of this would be the topic of anger. 
All right. The Bible says, be ye angry and sin not in Ephesians 4, 26. But then down in verse 31, it says, let all bitterness and all wrath and all anger be put away from you with all malice. So are we to put away all anger or are we to be angry? Now, there has to be an explanation here. In fact, you go throughout the rest of the Bible and anger is condemned in every case except Ephesians 4.26. So am I to look at verse 26 and assume that it's okay for me to get angry? No, I'm not. I'm to dive into the verse and understand what it actually says. And then when you do that, you understand that what uh, that verse means in its original language, the, the giving of it in its original language was, be ye in an angered situation. And sin not. When someone is acting angrily toward you, don't sin. Aha, aha. You see how we could take one verse and justify years of sin in our life? That's dangerous to do. So we provide context. We prayerfully compare that verse with the rest of the verses on that topic throughout the Bible. And then we pursue clarity. We want clarity. Now, we talked about that this morning in terms of the false doctrine of losing your salvation. But how about those principles in terms of uh, the Holy Spirit? Just as people have twisted verses to make them say false things in regards to eternal security... People likewise have twisted the Bible to teach things about the Holy Spirit that just really aren't true. Just really aren't true. Now, the majority of the message this evening is going to be setting the stage for the last two points of the sermon. All right. Uh, the sermon tonight, I would liken it to a play uh, or a movie where most of the action takes place in the last 20% of the film. All right. And uh, if you're like me, I enjoy a lot of action. But if you don't pay attention in the first 80 percent, then it's going to be a lot less impactful. It's going to be a lot less understandable. So uh, on purpose tonight, I know uh, how many you got a nap this afternoon. Let me see you, and you got a nap this afternoon. How many normally don't take one, but you took one today? That's me. I normally don't take one. I took one today. Uh, I lost my hour. I got it back this afternoon. Glory. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm energized tonight. All right. Uh, uh, but you got your nap in. Those of you that didn't get a nap, I'm going to ask you out of raw character. I'm going to try to keep your attention where I don't make quite get there. You make up the difference with, with, with paying attention. And uh, uh, that way, when we get down to the end of the message, the last two points, you really, really get... Uh, uh, what, uh, uh, what, what the Bible is teaching here and how the Holy Spirit interacts with you today. Now, by way of introduction, let me pose two questions for you in regards to the Holy Spirit. All right. The first question is this, and I want you to answer these honestly, individually in your heart here. Do you know the role the Holy Spirit is supposed to play in your life right now? Do you know that role? All right. That's the first question. You might be sitting there going, no, not really. And I've got to tell you, most people that go to church don't know. If you don't, it's okay. Pay attention now, you're going to learn. Here's the second question. And this is to all of you that know. So if you answered yes to the first question, I want you to really, really examine your heart as I ask the second question. Is the Holy Spirit actively, daily playing that role in your life? It's not enough to intellectually know what he's supposed to do. Is he doing it? Is he doing it? I think that we all can step back and say he could do it more. He could do it more. 
My proposition this evening is that if each Christian would get a proper view of who the Holy Spirit is and what he wants to accomplish in their hearts, then then each Christian would long to give him the control necessary to make us both influential and impactful to the world around us. Influential and impactful. When I throw the word Christian out to the average person walking through the store, the average non-Christian, do they think of the fruits of the Spirit? Or do they think of a fighter? Do they think of a hypocrite? Um, when I ask people that know you outside of the walls of this church, I ask them about what, 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 uh, what describes you. How would they describe your personality? How would they describe your attributes, your character? Do they describe the Holy Spirit in you? Or are they, oh, he's just another one of the guys or gals. Tonight, we're going to look at five concepts about the Holy Spirit and consider his role throughout the Scriptures. Number one, notice his power on display. His power on display. I'll move through this one quickly here. Look back at Acts chapter 2 and verse number 4. Now, I opened the message talking about how a lot of people want to put the emphasis on the disciples. They spoke in tongues. They had cloven tongues of fire on their head. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And we need to speak in tongues. I would like to ask the Pentecostal crowd this. If you're speaking in tongues, where are the cloven tongues of fire upon your head? You can't have one without the other, my friend. I've never seen a cloven tongue of fire on top of anybody's head. And if I did, I would run. I would run. Um, the emphasis isn't on the Christian that does the tongue speaking. The emphasis ought to be on the Holy Spirit who did the work. Now, there's a lot of misnomers, misunderstandings, lack of clarity on this passage. It wasn't the disciples that spoke in tongues. The disciples spoke in their native tongue, and the Holy Spirit did the translation in the air while the words traveled from their lips to the ear of the listener. The Holy Spirit used them to speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit gets the credit. Let me prove it to you. Look back in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 4. Let's give the Holy Spirit the third part of the Godhead, the, 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 uh, uh, the uh, praise here. Look at verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, okay? That's all you read. It's like, wow, these disciples are awesome. Well, let's look at how this works. Look at verse 5. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Behold, are not all these uh, which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? So again, here's what happened is they're up speaking in their native language, uh, the Greek language. And what's happening is as the words are leaving their mouth in Greek, you have somebody over here that speaks one language and another guy speaks this language and this group of people speaks this language. And while these words are traveling through the air, God is the Holy Spirit's translating them. So this person understands and that guy understands and this group understands. And they all step back and go, how is this happening? It happened not because the disciples were somehow uh, magical. It happened because the Holy Spirit made it happen. Holy Spirit made it happen. All right. 
Uh, so uh, the emphasis needs to be put on the Holy Spirit, not on the disciples. By the way, Christian, as you do the work of the Lord, the Lord needs to get the credit, not you. You teach a Sunday school class, and man, you came up with that awesome lesson, and you let them have it. And man, I mean, tears are flowing in your class, and, and, and conviction was falling, and you walk out and say, told them. No, 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 no. God gets the credit. God gets the credit. You go out and take, take one of our buses and you fill it up to the brim. And I mean, kids are hanging out the window and mashed up against the back door. And yeah, I had 80 on the bus. We won't let that happen. That breaks all kinds of laws. Amen, Pastor Dave. Uh, but you have all kinds of people on the bus and you're like, oh man, I filled that bus up. Give God the credit. To God be the glory. Great things He hath done. And so let's make sure the credit lands in the right place. Turn over with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Verse number 11. Let me give you another example here of how powerful the Holy Spirit is. Verse number 11 of 1 Corinthians 6. The Bible says there, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, and by... The Spirit of our God. So, who does the washing, the sanctifying, the justifying? It's the Spirit of God. That's a lot of power. To take an old wretch like me and to wash me. And then to sanctify me and justify me in the court of heaven. The Holy Spirit does it. And a couple of weeks back, I gave you a list of the working of the Holy Spirit through Scripture. Just to quickly review, He created the earth. He cleanses us from our sins. He raised Christ from the dead. He gave the Scriptures to the prophets. This is just a very, very small sampling of how powerful the Holy Spirit is. So, number two, and this is where we'll get into really the meat of the message. Notice His purpose in the dispensations. His purpose in the dispensations. Now, that word dispensations is a big, fancy word. Uh, I can sum that dispensations, that four-syllable word, into a one-syllable word. And that's the word era. Era. And so, uh, there were different eras of time in the Bible. Let's put that chart up there if we could. I believe that's the next slide there. Um, uh, kind of fuzzy. We're working, um, we're working through a Chromecast, so this is being... Uh, wirelessly sent to our projector, and so the clarity's not quite there today. We're working on a fix, so that hopefully that'll be by next week. So, sorry about the uh, clarity on the screen today, but here are the different eras in the Bible, all right? Uh, you have eternity past, you have eternity future, and then you've got um, creation. From creation to the fall of man was a period of innocence, and then from the fall of man to the flood was the period of conscience. This is where men became aware of their evil deeds. Uh, good and evil became known. And then from the flood to the call of Abraham was the establishment of human government. You have the Tower of Babylon there and the uh, uh, Nimrod and all the different other uh, sets of governments that were set. And they spread around the world and, and were established from the call of Abraham to the law of Moses. You have the era of promise, of promise from the law of Moses all the way to the cross 
uh, you have the law. The law of the Apostle Paul comes in and he begins to articulate and explain grace. And uh, you have uh, grace uh, 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 grace and the church era that go all the way from there. Uh, the Apostle Paul's giving of the, uh, of the um, uh, epistles there all the way to the rapture. And then from the rapture to the return of Jesus, you've got a seven year tribulation. Jesus comes back, sets up his throne, and uh, there is a theocratic government set up from Jerusalem. That's a thousand year reign, and then we'll have eternity future. So uh, th- those are the different eras. Now, some things I want to say here uh, in regards to this chart. First of all, the character of God is the same from eternity past all the way through eternity future. That doesn't change. God's character is always the same. If God hated it in eternity past, He hates it through all those stages. If God loved it in eternity past, He loves it through all those stages. So, that's the first thing I want to say is God is immutable, meaning God doesn't change. However, God's interaction with His creation throughout these different eras or dispensation, did change. Absolutely did change. And understanding these dispensations, these eras, and how the Holy Spirit worked in the various dispensations helps us to understand the, uh, the boundaries that the Holy Spirit has been placed inside of in today's church age. Interestingly enough, interestingly enough, all three parts of the Trinity have had a primary role throughout the history of mankind in interacting with man. Uh, when I was a teenager, I was reading through the, uh, the Bible, and uh, I believe it was the book of Deuteronomy, if my memory serves me right. That was a Bible I used a long time ago. I went and I underlined everywhere the Bible says, and the Lord said unto Moses. And I mean, it was like, I went back and counted them at the end. It was an astronomically uh, a high amount of number of times that the Lord, God the Father, spoke directly to Moses. I mean, he heard his voice. So, in the Old Testament, God the Father was the primary one to interact with his creation. He didn't interact with everybody, but select people he spoke directly to. Think about Moses up on Mount Sinai and God giving him the Ten Commandments and all the other times throughout the Bible that the Lord spoke in the Old Testament. So, God the Father's primary role was to communicate with mankind in the Old Testament. How about God the Son? Well, we know the Gospels, right? From uh, Matthew through John, He walked the earth and He was the primary part of the Trinity to interact with mankind. Since the Gospels concluded and Jesus ascended back up to heaven, now who has the primary role of interacting with us? Holy Spirit. Can I tell you a mistake I think that we make? I think we make the mistake of praying to God the Father and God the Son too much, and not God the Holy Spirit more. There's nothing wrong with praying that way. Nothing wrong with praying to God the Father and God the Son, but we live in an era where God the Holy Spirit is the one that is supposed to interact with us during this era in time. Now, again, you go back in the Old Testament, God the Holy Spirit definitely had a role. We're going to look at that in just a moment. God the Son had a role. There are all kinds of Old Testament appearances of Jesus Christ. And, and how about uh, during the time that Jesus was the primary interactor with humanity? God the Father still came down and, and had his place and time to interact. Uh, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and was seen. And during this era, God the Father and God the Son again have their role in, in the church age. But this is the age 
of the Holy Spirit interacting with mankind. So, um, a, a couple of other things I want to hit here, and um, uh, not to uh, single out a, a religion and pick on them uh, just for the sake of doing it. I, I have a reason for doing this here, but I'm going to give you two big errors that most Pentecostals make when studying the Holy Spirit. Two big errors, okay? Uh, these won't be on the screen. These are just in my notes. But the first error that they make is that they fail to understand that it is the Holy Spirit who did the miracle, not the disciples. So it is the Holy Spirit who should get the credit. The Holy Spirit did the miracle, not the disciples. Uh, they're seeking to get the credit themselves oftentimes. You ever been, any, any of you here ever been to a tongue-speaking church? Raise your hand you ever been to a tongue-speaking church. Alright? If I start speaking in Spanish, would that qualify this to be a tongue-speaking church? I don't think it would. Alright. Um, I, I, I have been in one tongue-speaking church. Um, it was on my honeymoon. And uh, Angela and I went to Virginia Beach. Uh, we got married on a Friday night. Sunday morning we wanted to go to church. This was back before iPhones and, uh, you know, where you could just Google the church or whatever. So we did, the, we did what uh, used to be done. We pulled out the, the, the yellow pages and we popped that open. And we found a church. We found two or three. Well, there was actually seven or eight independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist churches labeled that way in the phone book. So I start calling through them with the phone in the hotel room there. Nobody picks up except the last church. The last church picked up and they had changed their church from a Baptist church to a Bible church. But they were still listed that way. And so uh, we walked in the doors of the church, and it was weird. I'm not going to get into why it was weird. It was just weird. We got through Sunday school. I looked at Angela, and I said, we got to go. Uh, I saw another church on this same street, uh, by the same street name. Let's go find that church. We'll, we'll hit the regular service there. We took a right out of the parking lot. We should have taken a left. We took a right out of the parking lot. We headed into the city of Virginia Beach. Uh, uh, it got to be 11.05 and 11.07 and 11.08, and I said to Angela, we got to pick a place and go. And so we look up and there's abundant life ministries. I said, hey, you know what? It's a church. Let's go. So we pull in and um, uh, we walk in. I was the only white dude in the building. Angela was the only Spanish girl in the building. And it was a Pentecostal church. And they looked at us like, what are you doing here? And it, it was fun. We had a good time. Uh, there was a lot of tongue speaking going on. When I, we came into the building, it was a daycare during the week, and they converted into a church. Uh, they were in the middle of their praise time, and there was a lady who was down in the doorway, slain in the spirit, rolling around. And I had to step over her to get into the church building. <laughs> a lot of tongue speaking going on. A lot of tongue speaking going on in there. And uh, all of a sudden, someone would stand up and say, The Lord is giving me a message. Hashemahunalai. And I said, what? Huh? And you know what that is? And I, I don't mean to pick on a particular race. Look, I'm the least racist person on the planet. I promise you that. Uh, there are plenty of white churches that are, probably more white churches that are equally guilty of this kind of thing. You know what it is? It's look at me. It's look at me. And God does not want people to look at me and you. He wants us to look at him. That's the first mistake that's made. The... the um, the second mistake the Pentecostals, or many Pentecostals make, I understand there's some Pentecostal churches out there that may not fall under this. I'll be careful not to whitewash all of them this way. But the second mistake many of them make is that they fail to understand the Holy Spirit's current role today 
versus his role at the beginning of the church era. Now, please hear me on this. When the church was first established, God needed to get the word out about that church, about the church, quickly. And so, you have this large faction of Hebrews there for uh, the Feast of Pentecost, and they're there together. Many of them do not speak uh, the, the, the common language, and they're all coming from different spots. So Peter and the disciples stand up and preach, and all these folks get saved, and then they go back to their own hometowns, and little churches start popping up. Can you see how uh, beneficial this was to have the Holy Spirit interpret all this? In the air, all these people are getting saved and they're going out. And the church is quickly growing and spreading. And so uh, the Holy Spirit worked a little bit different. By the way, another note here is that a lot of miracles in the Bible, in fact, there are only, I believe, four eras of miracles in the Bible. And they all have one of just a couple of purposes. One is to establish somebody's being God's man. And the other one uh, is to uh, quickly proclaim and put forth the authority of that person's writing as Scripture. So God's giving these apostles a little bit extra power. Now that we have the Word of God completed, there is no reason for uh, God to share His glory or even potentially share His glory with somebody else. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 13 with me. I want to show you here that the era of the Holy Spirit speaking tongues through people has officially come to an end. It has come to an end. God doesn't do that anymore. You can't be so filled with the Spirit that you just break out in tongues, tongue speaking, uh, as happened in the book of Acts. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 8. The Bible says there, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Do you know, only pause reading there. You know why I'm not going to get up and say, the Lord told me to tell you? Or I saw a 900 foot Jesus and he said, if I don't get a million dollars by this day and I'm going to die. Like the, you know, back in the day. Um, because prophecies have failed. We don't believe in a... God giving us the vision anymore because the Bible says there would come a days that or, or that that prophecies would fail. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Let's read on. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Now, whether or not you believe that the era of tongue speaking has come to an end, the Bible does say there will be a point in time where tongue speaking ceases. Keep reading. Whether there be knowledge, and this is speaking of an extra special knowledge. I believe this is speaking of a Job type knowledge. Job said when interacting with his friends, I know my Redeemer lives. There was no writing about a Redeemer anywhere. How could Job know that? This is that type of knowledge that's spoken of here. This is that writing down of Scripture that's no longer needed today. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. So prophecies are going to come to an end. Tongues speaking is going to come to an end. Extra special knowledge is going to vanish away. Look at verse 9. For we know in part And we prophesy in part. What's that talking about? That's talking about the Bible. They had a portion of the Bible at the writing of 1 Corinthians. They didn't have all of it. So they knew in part. They prophesied the rest of the Scripture in part. Look at verse 10. But when that which is perfect is come. Woo! I'm going to start my Bible. When that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done in way. When that which is perfect is come, I have in my hands that which is perfect. We don't need prophecies, we don't need tongue speaking, and we don't need special knowledge anymore. We have all the knowledge right here in the Bible, printed, sitting in our lap. That's why we don't believe in tongue speaking in this church. 
The Holy Spirit used that because there wasn't a completion of Scripture. Now we have that. Now it's complete. Now it's complete. How, what role did the, uh, did the Holy Spirit play throughout the different dispensations? Well, we know that during the creation era, during the creation era, He brought man to life. He brought man to life. The Bible says that uh, God breathed into flesh and flesh became a living soul. Let me give you another reference here. Uh, Genesis, that's Genesis 2-7. And then there's Psalm uh, 109, 104, rather. Psalm 104, 29 and 30. I don't have time to go over all this tonight. I encourage you to go, go back and read it. And it talks about how that, uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit is the giver of life, or rather the sustainer of life. Interestingly enough, when the Bible says that God breathed into man the breath of life, the same root word for breath is the same word for spirit. God breathed into man the Holy Spirit. God breathed into Adam the Holy Spirit. So he, is, uh, he brought man to life. During the era of conscience, you see there Adam and he fell. Uh, Genesis 6, 3 talks about how that my spirit will not always strive with man. My spirit will not always strive with man. And so during the era of conscience, his role was to bring conviction over sinful living. Now, during the rest of the Old Testament, or that under the law, uh, his role was dictation of the Scripture. It was select fulfilling of different folks. Uh, you, we know that Saul was filled with the Spirit for a time, and then that departed. David was filled with the Spirit for a while. Uh, several other of the prophets were filled with the Spirit, but it was select fulfilling, and then it was empowering. And again, don't have time to go over all the verses tonight. Let me give you some references for that. First Peter 2.21 2 Samuel 23.2, and Judges 13.25, all right? How about during the life of Christ? How about that era? You see there, uh, uh, up there where the cross is, let's back that up 33 years on the map. Uh, Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit played a different role then than he does now. During the era of the, uh, of the life of Christ, he was responsible for the conception of Jesus into the womb of Mary. He was uh, responsible for the endorsement of Jesus at his baptism. He was responsible for the raising of Jesus from the dead. So, uh, again, all of these roles you see, he plays a powerful role. How about the beginning of the church era and the completion of Scripture? Well, we see that his roles were divine power, initial fulfilling, tongue speaking, and Scripture dictating. So, those were the roles played during the church era up to the completion of Scripture. Now, how about the church age? That's the dispensation we're in now. We're in the church age. You know what his duty is now? It is indwelling the believer and changing the believer. That's his role. Romans chapter 8, verses 10 and 11 would be a good point for that. And then during the tribulation, it will be his role to pour out divine wrath. And you can look at Joel chapter 2, verses 29 and 30 for that. So uh, his different, his purpose in the dispensations. Let's move on here and look at number 3. Let's look at number 3. We see out his, his pouring out in the New Testament believers. Turn back over to Acts chapter 2. In verse number 17. Acts chapter 2. In verse number 17. Look here, it says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, said God. And this is a quotation from Joel 2. I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. This is speaking of that era before the Bible is written. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on uh, my servants and all my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days 
of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. This is speaking of the tribulation before the great notable day of the Lord shall come, speaking of Christ's return. Verse 21, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall be saved. Can you turn in your Bibles over to Isaiah chapter 44 with me? Isaiah 44. Stay with me here. We're going to get to points four and five, and um, that's where the action's coming in the sermon. But uh, this is setting the stage. Isaiah chapter 44 and verse number three. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit indwelling of believers was both promised and it was symbolized by water. Look at chapter 44, verse three. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. And floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offering. Upon thine offering. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. Jesus, when he was baptized in water, the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove. What did Jesus tell the woman at the well? If you drink of the living water, you'll never thirst again. You know, he's telling her, if you drink of the living water, you're going to have... The living water of the Holy Spirit living in you at some point down the road uh, when I send my comforter. Over and over again, the idea of water symbolizes the Holy Spirit. Take your Bible over to Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 11. This is a, uh, this is a powerful reference. We talk a lot about baptism at church here. The baptismal waters have been stirred a lot. And the simple explanation I give people is that it symbolizes the death, the burial, and resurrection. Can I give you another symbol of that baptistry pool? That baptism of water is simply a, a, a symbol of you being baptized by the Holy Ghost when you get saved. That word baptized means consumed or filled. Consumed or rather consumed or submerged. You can't baptize somebody by sprinkling them because you're not consuming them or submerging them. Just like you are baptized in the Holy Ghost, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you are baptized in that pool representing the baptism that happened of the Holy Ghost upon your salvation. Let me prove that to you. Look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. The Bible says, I indeed, this is John the Baptist speaking, baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. That's speaking of Jesus. He shall baptize you, look here, with the Holy Ghost... And with fire. You know what he's saying here? You know what John the Baptist is saying here? Everybody in humanity is going to end up getting baptized one of two ways. Either you're going to get baptized by the Holy Ghost upon salvation, or one day he will baptize you in hell fire. That's what this is teaching. You're either going to be baptized by the Holy Ghost, consumed, submerged by the Holy Ghost, or you're going to be thrown into hell because you refused the salvation. Let me read into the verse for you here. Verse Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one Spirit we are, are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. So we're baptized. We're baptized into one body by one Spirit, by the Spirit of God. So this idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you'll hear that, throw, word, that term thrown around and you think, Baptism, indwelling, uh, uh, quenching, uh, uh, what, what are all the differences? Well, baptizing and filling are a little bit different, and we'll get into filling another week. The idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that happens the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus. 
Now, prior to uh, the Comforter being sent in Acts chapter 2, and I believe there's another passage with Cornelius a little bit later, Acts 9 off the top of my head, I believe it is. I might have the chapter wrong there. There was the Gentile uh, fulfilling of the Holy Spirit that happened separate from the Jewish fulfilling of the Holy Spirit. But from the moment that the two groups were filled with the Holy Spirit forward, anybody that puts their faith and trust in Jesus, immediately you become consumed, submerged, baptized, with the Holy Spirit. I ask you this question tonight. Are you born again? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Then you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. You're baptized. Now, you may not be living with Him in control, but He's there. He's there. I, I think it's important to add here, before we move on with the message, that the prospect of this news is exciting. It's exciting. You have the God who brought Adam to life, the form of God that brought Adam to life, living inside of you. You have uh, the God that conceived Jesus into the womb of Mary, living inside of you. You have the God that raised Jesus from the dead, living inside of you. You have uh, the God that, uh, that uh, uh, washed away your sins and will justify you in the court of heaven, living inside of you. Boy, to me, that is exciting. You... Um, if you would have been a, a, a believer in the Old Testament, you did not have the Holy Spirit living in you. You, you followed uh, the priests that were spoken to by God the Father. You didn't have direct interaction with God. We have that today. There is no greater time to be a believer than in the church era. You have the Holy Spirit, the power, the engine of God living inside your chest. And He wants to radically transform you into something wonderful. It's pouring out is pouring out into New Testament believers. Number four, we see His purification of our hearts. His purification in our hearts. Turn over to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 with me. God says, I'm going to use the engine of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, the engine of the Godhead, and I'm going to place Him inside the New Testament believer. I'm going to put Him there to clean those believers up. While you're finding 1 Corinthians 6, let me read for you Hebrews 9, 13 and 14. The Bible says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, again, this is speaking about Old Testament symbolism, Old Testament sacrifices, sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Here I was, prior to salvation, living a life filled with dead works. Even my good works uh, in front of God were dead works because they were being done outside of uh, or outside of the auspice or the canopy of being a child of God. They were dead works. I entered into salvation with all of my unrighteousnesses and all my sin and all my bad habits and all my filth and all my sinful baggage that was hanging all over me. And God placed the Holy Spirit in there to begin to take those things away, to begin to purify me, to purge my conscience from dead works, so that I could serve the living God. 1 Corinthians 6, look at verse number 9. The Bible says there, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, 
nor uh, adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. All five of those have some connection into some sort of a sensual sin, including idolatry. Back then, many of the priests in these cultist religions were male and female prostitutes. So fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves, of mankind, nor thieves, moving on from sexual sins and others, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor uh, drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. If you die with these sins hanging on you, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Look at verse 11. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Paul here is writing to a very carnal church at Corinth. And he says to him, he says, you've been saved from that filth. Don't go back to it. You've been saved from it. I put the Holy Spirit inside of you to clean you up. Clean you up. Can I ask you a question tonight? You're letting the Holy Spirit clean you up. Your mouth's still filthy. Listen, cursing should never be part of a Christian's vocabulary. Let me take it a step further. There are a whole bunch of loose slang words that ought not be part of a Christian's vocabulary. I've made the comment sometime back that I have never, ever in my life intentionally cursed. Let me tell you how I've been able to do that. In my life, when I have caught a slang word slipping from my lips, I have rebuked myself and put myself back behind that line. Letting words flow from your mouth that are four letters long and, and, and cousins too or a little less offensive than its, uh, than its curse word. Um, listen, if those words are slipping out of your mouth freely, then when you get angry, what do you think is going to come out of your mouth? You move yourself back behind that slang word line and you, you get frustrated and upset or, or you get carnal for a moment and the word slips, it's going to be a slang word, not a curse word. You, you hide yourself behind that slang line. Don't let those words come out. You say, Pastor, where in the Bible does it say that? Well, nowhere in the Bible does it say that other than the let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Some of you here tonight don't struggle with cursing, but you take God's name in vain frequently. Uh, there have been times, and this is going way back over a year, there have been times where I have preached hard against taking God's name in vain, walked out in the lobby, had a conversation with a church member, and they took God's name in vain ten minutes after I got through preaching the sermon. You know what I realized? They didn't even know they were doing it because it's just become such a regular part of their vocabulary. Look, you've you got to clean that up. And in my Spanish-speaking friends tonight, it is culture to say, Dios mío, all the time. That's taking God's name in vain. That does not please God. And uh, you've got to clean that mouth up. You've got to, you've got to, uh, you can't let that be part of you. Listen, there is no room, no room for a Christian to look at pornographic images. Such were some of you. You're sanctified. You're purified. There's no room for a Christian to have an affair. None. 
None. There's no room for you to be idolatrous or coveting. And I've got to say that I believe in 2018, even inside of our churches, we have the most sophisticated version of idolatry going on. No, we don't go bow, bow down to idols, but what we do is we take God and we uh, expect Him to be molded to our image of what we believe is right and wrong. We force Him into this mold of, of well, I, I struggle with this and, and I don't... I don't Adhere to this part of the Bible, but God's okay with that. And your idolatry is that you've created God to fit your own personal religion instead of saying, no, I'm not going to make God form to my mold. I'm going to force myself into the mold of, of right and wrong from Scripture. 2018, we have churches filled with people who uh, don't, don't want to be told that they're living in sin because they don't want their hearts purified. You know what you're doing is you're taking the Holy Spirit and you're putting him back in, uh, in the shadow and you're saying, don't purify my heart. I can do this by myself. Christian, God put the Holy Spirit inside of you for the purpose of cleaning your filthy heart up. Because it's just as filthy as mine. Because we have a desire to sin. The question is, are you going to let him clean you up? Well, Pastor, you know, I, I, watch, uh, I watch certain shows on TV and, uh, you know, uh, sometimes the, they're dressed provocatively and, you know, there's a couple of little words in there. But it, it's, not, it's not that bad. I play these video games that are filled with all of this stuff that uh, is, is against Scripture, but it's not really that bad. And I step back and say, oh, Really? If the Holy Spirit was able to put himself in a body and sit on the couch next to you, would you change the channel? Would you shut the game off? I think back to Isaiah 43 where uh, 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 Isaiah spoke to the children of Israel and he said that you have made me to serve with your sins. Listen, I'm not standing up here tonight trying to be pious or pharisaical. I struggle with certain sins like everybody here does. And uh, I, I don't pretend to be better than anybody in the room. And I beg the Holy Spirit to clean me up. The question isn't, uh, the question isn't do you or I sin? It's when you do sin, are you remorseful? And are you quick to say, Lord, I blew it. I kicked you off the throne of my heart and put myself there. Please forgive me and take back the reins of my heart. His purification of our hearts. Number five, notice lastly, his production of fruit through the believer. Turn over to John 14 with me. I want to finish the sermon tonight with the most powerful passage, maybe in the Bible. Jesus said something here in John 14 that seems out of place, but it's not. This passage in John 14 challenges me more as a believer and any other passage in the Bible. And that's a strong statement, but I thoroughly mean it. Look at verse 8. John 14, verse 8. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. But believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for that very word's sake. Look at verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. 
here's the challenge. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. God said, Philip, you, just, you have watched me raise the dead. You've watched me heal the sick. You've watched me touch the eyes of the blind. You've watched me show compassion on the poor. You've watched me help the outsiders. You've watched my ministry now for three and a half years. And here they're walking toward the Mount of Olives where Jesus would be arrested. And, 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 and Philip, Jesus says to Philip, you're going to do greater works than these. You're going to do greater works than these. I, I have to stop when I read this passage and I have to ask myself this question. How am I going to do greater works than Jesus? He's God. How am I supposed to be able to do greater works than God incarnate walking the earth? The answer is that I have the Holy Spirit of God living in me. And if I will get my sin out of the way, I'll let Him purify me and I'll let Him work through me, then I can, He can use my flesh to do incredible works, greater works than Jesus even did. Oh, I may never raise somebody from the dead, but I step back and look at someone like a Billy Graham who recently passed. Preached to a million and a half people at one time in Seoul, South Korea. Let me ask this question tonight. How many of you here were either directly or indirectly saved or strongly influenced towards salvation because of the ministry of Billy Graham? Would you raise your hand? There are Tens of millions of people that will be in heaven because of his ministry. Jesus didn't do that. Now, he saved them, but he didn't do that through his earthly ministry and he walked the earth. You know what Billy Graham did? Greater works than these. Now, if God is not a respecter of persons, and God will do that with Billy Graham and hundreds of other people since he ascended to heaven, don't you think he'd be willing to do that with me and you if we asked him? Don't you think he'd be willing to do that with me and you if we get out of the way and let him purify us and work through us? You have this engine called the Holy Spirit that's been placed inside of you. And you know what we're too busy doing? Living the American rat race. I gotta go here, and I gotta go there, and I gotta buy this, and I gotta have that, and I gotta get this promotion, and I gotta get this, and I gotta do that. And we step back at the end and we go, what was it all worth anyway? While souls pass by us every day. Headed to hell. Souls pass by us every day with no eternal hope because we're too busy making a buck. We're too busy getting to the next place to even stop and care for folks. The Holy Spirit's inside of us yearning and calling out and saying, Will you get out of my way? Will you set your agenda to the side? Will you let me lead you? Will you let me speak through you? Will you let me work my power through you to accomplish something great? Something that everyone will step back and go, That's not humanly possible. God did it through him or her. Today I'm here to say that I am guilty of this very problem of not letting the Holy Spirit produce enough fruit through me. And I uh, pray very hard uh, through the preparing of this message and the preaching of this message that God will help me to get me out of the way so He can work through me. I want to ask you tonight, God has placed the Holy Spirit inside of you. We're not about cheap gimmicks and games and standing up and speaking in some gibberish. We're about having the Holy Spirit use us to turn the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I ask you tonight, who's with me? Who's with me? Who's ready to set down their flesh? To kick off 
their pride off the throne of their heart and say, Holy Spirit, purify me and produce through me. Well, you're saved. He's been poured out all over you. But is he laying dormant and not doing anything? Or are you going to let him do a great work in your life? All of us here tonight now know the role of the Holy Spirit if you've paid attention. The question is, are you letting him do his work? Letting him do his work. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. Christian, you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You put your faith in Jesus. You've been baptized. You're filled. He's been poured out all over you. What are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, of thee. Is your life about you or is it about others? Is it about you or is it about the Holy Spirit? Oftentimes we slide a piece of paper across the table to God and say, God, this is my agenda for the day. Sign the bottom. God says, I want you to sign the bottom and give me a blank sheet of paper and let me write on there what I want you to do. God puts his finger on his sin and says, hey, that's got to go. That TV show, that movie, that habit, that, that, that conversation, that friend's got to go. We buck and push away and God says, okay, all right. Then you walk through life and be powerless. Lord, I pray tonight that you'd help us to consider the extraordinary promise that we would do greater works than you did in your flesh on the earth if we'll yield to the Holy Spirit. Will you do a work through us? Will we get out of the way? Will we radically adjust who we are? Let you do the amazing work in our lives. In Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, let's stand. The piano plays. The altar's open. How about it tonight, Christian? Holy Spirit going to call the shots or are you going to keep doing that? Are you going to let Him lead and guide and control or are you going to continue to do life your way? Amen. You can look this way. 
And be seated, if you would, just for a moment here. Amanda, if you'd stand up. Amanda, several years ago, was saved and baptized in this church. And uh, her family fell away from our church for a while, and Amanda came back. And uh, Amanda, it's been neat to see what God has done in your heart and your life since you've been coming back to church. And Amanda is um, growing in the Lord rapidly. We're excited for her. Amanda wants to be a member of our church. I think that's exciting. I think that's awesome. So, Amanda Sepulveda. Did I get that right? Close enough? Close enough. All right. She uh, is uh, coming for membership. All in favor of that, say amen. amen. All right. I think you're in. I don't think there's any question about it. Welcome to the church. Welcome officially on board of the membership of the church. You can be seated. And uh, we'll have Amanda, at, when we're praying to close the service, we'll have you come stand down here. If you would, come by and shake Amanda's hand and, and congratulate her and welcome into our church family this evening. Let me just add this. I don't want to get into the sermon again, but I just want to add one last little thing and we'll be dismissed. If the Holy Spirit's in control, you turn into a very nice person. You're not ornery and you're not mean and you're not demanding and you're not unkind because the Holy Spirit's not those things. If there's a lot of strife in your relationships... And always, that's, a good, that's a good litmus test. That's a good sign that you really haven't turned over control of the Holy Spirit. If you're quick to heat up and get feisty, it's a good sign that the Holy Spirit's not calling the shots. And that needs to drive you to your knees to apologize and put Him in control. It's a process. There's some old habits that have to go away before He really is in control all the time. It's a moment-by-moment yielding. But, boy, it is worth it. It is worth it. So, let me just encourage you this week to... When you see yourself acting outside of Galatians 5, and 23, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. When you see yourself acting outside of those uh, boundaries, then say to yourself, I'm not Holy Spirit-filled, I'm filled with my flesh. Get down on your knees, confess it, and put Him back in charge. And live your life that way. Amen. Let's stand and be dismissed. Thank you for coming tonight and for your attention to the message. I pray God gives you a good week at work or whatever it is that you do and that we uh, make uh, an impact. Pray for our missions conference. How many of you will commit this week? Pray for our missions conference beginning next Sunday. And I hope you'll come and be a part of that, be a part of the whole thing. Amen. Let's be dismissed with prayer. Brother Greer, if you would, raise your your voice, close us in prayer.